I'm excited today to start a new series with you uh, entitled Living in Babylon. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're in Babylon. You are living in Babylon if you realize it or not. How many of you notice that the world is changing pretty fast? Have you noticed the world's changing pretty fast? I had a conversation with uh, Miss Macy Loki about three months ago, and I don't know if she's here today. She might be in Tulsa, but uh, I had a conversation. I mentioned something about uh, a phone book or a rotary phone or something like that, and she looked at me like I had no idea what I was talking about. She had never seen a rotary phone. How many of you grew up had a rotary phone in the house? Yeah, here we are 20 years later. They don't have a clue to what a rotary phone is. Uh, bag phones, you know, photo negatives, floppy disks, reel-to-reel tape recorders, carbon paper. This is stuff that kids have no concept of today, right? I mean, those are things that, I, I, answer machines, you know what I mean? Answer machines. You had the little beeping thing there, and you had to, you had to hit it back. You always made your, uh, you always made your, your answering you know, deal together. You call your friends like, hey, I know you're listening to me on the answer machine right now. Pick up, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Things have changed. Things have changed. These are not just, this is not just a few things have changed. Have you noticed the culture has also changed? The culture has changed a lot. Technology isn't the only thing that's changed. The culture has changed. And the values in this world are also changing. And the outlook on God is also changing. America will be called what is now a post-Christian nation. It is now a society that has moved away where we used to identify with Judeo-Christian values to a place now where we don't even identify with that. We have an enlightened worldview where we say now in our culture that you do you. Right? You, you think what's best for you. You think of what's best for you to, to believe in. You think of what's best for you and your moral standing. You think what's best for truth for you, and you live by that. And it's created a place where now we live in a very unique time in our society. It's very interesting. Statistically, secularism has been embraced by a majority of the American public. If you have filled out a, a survey lately and they asked the religious question, there is now a new box that is fairly new for a lot of us, and it's the box called nuns. Have you guys ever seen that before? Where it's, you can ch check and say, I'm a Christian, or I'm Jewish, you know, or I'm Muslim, and now there's a box that says none, meaning I don't identify with any religion at all. Well, if you look at what the statisticians are telling us, the nun category is the fastest growing demographic within the United States. There was a day in our culture in which most people would have identified as a Christian if they were practicing the faith or not. There was a cultural expectation that one would say that they are a Christian. Being a member of the church was something that um, people valued. It was something that was a badge of honor in our society. That is no longer the case. It is no longer the case where the cultural expectation is to be a Christian. Rather, People say they can do what they want, and the none category is good. Now, what's interesting about this is that there's been some good results, and there's been some bad results from this. If you look at what people say that are studying different, uh, studying the, the, the culture and the movement of the culture, you'll see that there's two rises that are rapidly going ahead. You have people who are very devout Christians, and that demographic is actually growing fast, even in a secular society. Why would that be? Well, many kids and teenagers, and perhaps even you, like myself, grew up in a home that would not be considered a Christian home. I didn't go to a church when I was 
little. When I, when I first met with the board, Bruce, I asked Bruce uh, Stevens, I said, how long have you been coming to this church? And he said, nine months before I was born. From the day he was here every single, I mean, every single day of his life, he has been in this church. For a lot of us, that is not the same. We came later on. And so we discovered the faith ourselves, and as a result, we're very devout in our beliefs. And you'll see that that's a very common trend in our culture. The, the very devout Christian section is growing, but the secular section is also growing as well, as we have just said. So you have people that are very strong in their faith, and people who have no faith at all. And since culture is not expecting us to identify as Christians, we are now in this place where we have a very unique view on truth and morality within the United States. It has created a very unique dynamic that's played out in our society. And uh, there's rapidly developing a, a, a norm in America where you identify as a Christian with Christian values, you start getting labeled, labeled in a very negative context. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's very easy if you identify with Christian values to be labeled as a bigot or a homophobe person or an intolerant when you hold certain biblical truths. And these tensions are starting to make it very difficult for believers to manage their biblical beliefs and values while still still trying to love the people in their circle and show them the love of Christ. And so there is no doubt that if you're a Christian in America today, that it would be very reminiscent to the Israelites living in Babylon in exile. Make no mistake about it. Paul says that we are aliens in this world. And so as a result, those of us who are Christians are living in Babylon. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're still in Babylon. Now, as I said, there's some unique people in the Bible who could show us how to approach this new America that we find ourselves in. And in this series over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking very specifically at the history of the Israelites who are living in a period known as the exile. Many of you are familiar with the God calling the Hebrew people and under the leadership of Moses while they're in Egypt and God leads them out and he says, I'm going to give you a promised land and he leads them to that promised land and he said, if you obey my commandments and my statutes, you can stay here forever and I'm going to bless all the nations through you. But if you chase after other gods, I'm going to give you to those gods. Well, that's exactly what the Hebrews did. About 600 years before Jesus was born, the Israelites rebelled against God and God allowed their homeland to be invaded by an enemy. And many of them became exiles in a foreign land for 70 years. Now, the most interesting scripture that we find in the Old Testament, in my opinion, is some of this from the exile period. We get the, the characters of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. These, these pillars of the faith in the scripture were actually exiles in a foreign land, but yet they were devout to God and they lived in this secular land in such a way that they brought glory and honor to God. And we're still learning from them today. So the question is, how did these exiles thrive while living in Babylon? Because if we can learn how they thrived while living in Babylon, perhaps we can learn how to thrive while living in this secular culture in the United States. So to set this series up, we're going to start reading out of Daniel chapter number 10, or excuse me, Daniel chapter number 1. Now, I need to warn you this morning that there are some very interesting names in Daniel chapter number 1, and I'm not a very smart man. You know, there's a lot of people, you watch movies and you identify with certain characters. I identify with Forrest Gump. I'm not a smart man, Jenny, right? You know, that's me. So I'm, a, I'm just going to go ahead and come out right off the bat and say I'm about to butcher these names. Just absolutely going to be embarrassing. Uh, but you guys are my family, and so you're not going to judge me too hard for this, I hope. Amen? All right. 
<coughs> excuse me. Daniel chapter 1, starting verse number 1. Here's what it says. In the third year of the reign, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought with him to Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem, he sacked it, he took some of the belongings back to his God's temple and placed it before his God. The king commanded Ashbenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both to the royal family and of nobility, youth without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Then the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. And they were educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And among them were Daniel and Ahamiah and Michelle and Azera the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, and Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Now I got to tell you a joke real quick. We had this evangelist that came one time, and he also had a friend who would identify with Forrest Gump. He was not a smart man either, Jenny. And instead of Abednego, he said Abendingo. So I did. So we would tell that to Knox, and Knox thought Abendingo was really funny. And you know when you say something enough that it kind of gets stuck in your head. I have a feeling before this sermon's over, I'm going to say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abendingo. Okay, and when I do, please forgive me for that. Anyways, in the year 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar was considered one of the greatest kings of all ancient history, and he seizes uh, Jerusalem, and he carries off several thousand exiles. Now, Daniel and his three friends are also carried off into exile. They're some of the first that came out of captivity, and they're taken back to Babylon, which would be in modern-day Iraq. Now, Babylon was the, the epicenter of culture in this day. It was a pagan culture. They worshiped idol gods. There was a lot of immorality. There was a lot of pagan worship that happened here. It was not a good place for a Jew to try to live. It was a place in which you were constantly getting inundated with just false truth. You were constantly getting inundated with the, the, the religious system of the world. You were constantly surrounded by t- depravity. Now, ultimately, there were three sieges on Jerusalem, the third being the most brutal, uh, in which it is ultimately uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes and sacks and just completely levels uh, Jerusalem and leaves the temple in rubble. Now, it's important to see in verse 2 that God was the one that ordained these sieges. He was the one who, who set this up and positioned Daniel and his three friends to be taken into captivity. And what we see in verse 2 is that while the nation had turned its back on God, there were few people there that still honored the Lord, Daniel and his friends being one of them. And God said, I'm going to use them, and I'm going to allow them to be taken into exile, and they're going to be my light and my witness in this dark and depraved culture known as Babylon. Now, When God did this, there was this remnant of faithful people, and Daniel and his three friends are in that remnant, and God in his sovereignty positions them where? He positions them in the royal court to be a prophetic voice and a moral standard in in the land in which they lived. 
God shows a pattern of placing his people in a culture to be a witness to that culture. And that is God's calling for every single one of us. We are to be the prophetic voice to this culture, meaning we're to be the ones that give the word of a God to the culture and to be the moral standard of the culture. We're the ones to be the light in the culture. We see this with lots of different people in the Old Testament, with Abraham and Joseph and Moses and, and Jeremiah and Esther. There are people whom God positioned in high places in order to be a light to that culture. Now, Daniel and his friends are devout believers, and they're caught up in the mess. He's now a young man living in a foreign land. His name is changed. He's assigned to this royal court. This was a common practice uh, and a common goal in the ancient times in which the, the conquerors would take the best from the homeland, the brightest uh, leaders for the future, and they would take them back to the captive land in order to indoctrinate them in that culture and hoping to send them back to their homeland so they can be good, faithful, loyal supporters of Babylon. Daniel is somehow able to live within this indoctrination without compromising his faith. Daniel is some how able to, to represent God and yet be a benefit to the king. Daniel is able to hold strong in his faith while thrive in the land in which he is planted. And this is the point for us. I think there's a lot we can learn from Daniel and from his contemporaries because they teach us how to live in a culture that is trying to rob the church of its youngest and brightest and trying to indoctrinate them in a pagan culture. If you look around today, you will see that the world is trying to indoctrinate our young people. Bottom line, the world is also trying to indoctrinate you. The world is trying to indoctrinate us in their pagan way of approaching worship and their pagan way of approaching God, and they're trying to get us to compromise. It's really interesting. I was even reading an article this morning when I woke, woke up. Uh, perhaps some of you that used to be when you were in high school and those times you used to go to Winter Jam. You ever remember the Winter Jam days? Okay, yeah. So there was a there was an artist that headlined that. A lot of those artists that were on that platform at the time when we went are no longer Christians, and there's one that still is, and he's very vocal. And he says, it's time that we get serious about the people who are trying to deconstruct the Christian faith. He said, it's time that we start standing up for truth, and he's absolutely right. Make no mistake about it, church. We live in a modern-day Babylon. There are around 600,000 abortions every year in this country. The porn industry generates $12 billion a year in revenue. Social media is an onslaught of poor values and sensational living. Kids are more likely to look at the internet for guidance for sexuality, relationships, and truth than ever before, and the fabric of the family is absolutely wilting at a rapid pace. And here's what I believe, that just as God sovereignly positioned and planted Daniel and his friends to be a witness in Babylon, God has positioned you and planted you and me to be a witness of Christ in this modern day Babylon. We have to be believers who mimic Daniel's actions. We have to be salt and light. We have to preserve and bring flavor. We have to illuminate and bring truth. We'll see later on in this message series that, that Daniel was obedient to the Lord's commands to the exiles, and he was a contributing member of society. And as believers, we have to be contributing members to this society. We can't just sit in a corner and yell and whine and gripe that the world is changing around us. We have to be the agents of change. We have to be the standard bearers of truth and excellence in the culture that we live in. Daniel thrived in Babylon because he chose to grow where God planted him. And I submit to you, church, that we have a lot of work to do in our culture today. And we have two options. These are the only two options we have. We can embrace the era in which we live in, 
We can be the salt and light to this modern day Babylon, or we can mourn and weep that we no longer live in a Christian culture and the world will continue on its pathway to eternal destruction. I submit to you that we take on the first, that we try to be salt and light. In this series, I'm going to be very practical. My hope is that you glean and that I glean from these exiles and their faith, how to contribute to society, how to manage the tensions of morals and how to raise our kids where their heart is set on a true eternal kingdom and not on this kingdom below. Now today, I want to share with you just a few thoughts about how to have the right mindset while living in Babylon. I want to continue to read in Daniel chapter number one. We're going to continue to read about him and his friends. I'm going to start picking up in verse number eight. And here's what it says. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who has assigned you food and your drink for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youth of your own age? So you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel says, look, I don't want to eat the food sacrificed to your gods. I want to eat my own food. And the guy's like, but if you eat your own food, then you're going to be worse off than everybody else. And then I'm going to get in trouble. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Ahamiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of our youth who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in the flesh than all the youth who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and their wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, the king had commanded that they should be brought in. And chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke to them, and among all them, none was found like Daniel, Hamiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Circeus. I've butchered that. I told you I was going to butcher it before it's over. What we see here in this first chapter is instantly Daniel and his friends are set apart from the culture. And instantly they made a positive impact in the kingdom. These exiles turned a negative situation into positive ones that the Lord had assigned to them. And as a result, they thrived in Babylon. And that is my prayer for us. And here's the big idea. To thrive in Babylon, you need a resolved mind, you need a resolved heart, and you need resolved actions to honor the Lord. You see these three things coming forth out of Daniel and his three friends. And let me take just a moment and point them out to you. First, Daniel had a resolved mind that developed quality characteristics. Notice the quality characteristics that Daniel and his friends have. If you want to fulfill your calling to live in this modern day Babylon to make a difference, then you have to develop the skill set that is within your life. You see, Daniel was positioned because God had given him some things. He was skillful in all wisdom. He was endowed with knowledge. He had understanding to learn. He was competent to stand in the king's presence. If you want to make a difference in your circle, do you want to make a difference in your workplace? Do you want to make a difference in this community? Then make a decided heart that you're going to be skillful in all wisdom. 
Don't be foolish. Walk around skillful in wisdom. Be endowed with knowledge. Do everything you can to learn. Be understanding to learn. Recognize that you don't know everything and that you've got a lot that you can continue to learn so that you're competent to stand before kings. Because Daniel developed these skills, he was commissioned by the king. Let me tell you something. The only way you change a culture is when you start standing before kings. Who are the kings in the circles that you're called to share light? Community leaders, bosses in your business, administrators, government officials. Who are the kings in your life that you are called to be a light and a witness and a prophetic voice to? Skilled people are deemed worthy to stand before kings. In the New Testament, we are told over and over again to do all things as unto the Lord and to serve our earthly masters like we are serving Jesus Christ himself and to do everything to the best of our abilities. As Christians, we should work harder than everybody else. As Christians, we should be the best learners in our field. As Christians, we should hone the crafts in which we are planted. Every business should recognize that the Christians who work for them are the best employees they have in the business. Okay, so Charity likes my preaching. Thank you, honey. I'm going to take you home. Buy your lunch. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh. All right, let's pray and let's go home. <laughs> you know, sometimes you say things before you're like, you know, I should think this out, how this is going to sound from the platform. All right. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> Dan and his friends worked hard to learn and apply their skills. You want to make an impact? Grow in knowledge and in your skill set. Practically, what does that mean for us? Learn all the jobs within your profession and get really good at them. Learn to do your job really well. Learn to do your neighbor's job really well. Learn to do the person, your subordinate's job really well. Your authority, learn to do their job really well. Read books, listen to podcasts, expand your knowledge, take courses, seminars, whatever you need to do, sharpen your, and hone your skills. Listen, if, you're, if you cut trees and be the best arborist on the planet, if you fix cars, be honest and efficient. If you teach kids, then be a learner yourself and modern, model it to the kids. This sounds like so practical, but let me tell you something. That's what Daniel and his friends did, and it positioned them in a place where they could be the voice of moral reasoning to the king. And as we read on throughout this, you'll see that they made a difference to the king. That's why you've got to come for the coming weeks. And let me tell you something. This world desperately needs a different MO about it, and Christians are going to have to be the ones that, that bring it. They learned, but their wisdom was always rooted in not the learning of the world, but in the wisdom of who God is. Let me tell you something. The world will recognize the benefit of this book when we live it out in front of them. Right now, when we stand on truth, we're called by some in society, not everybody, but by some intolerant bigots, etc. But let me tell you something. The only way you're going to change that narrative is by living it in front of them. We have to learn this and apply it to our hearts I promise you a resolved mind, a spirit-filled life, a life devoted to the word is going to be the best influence on this culture. Second, Daniel had a resolved heart with determined devotion. We see very quickly that Daniel had determined devotion to the Lord. There was a resolve in his heart not to cater to the cultural pressures of his day. He had a resolved heart not to pollute his mind, his body, his soul with pagan worship practices of his day. He cared more about honoring God them fitting into the culture. He was not willing to bow down. His heart burned for the Lord. And as a result, he refused to eat the food that the king offered him because it had been offered to idols and Daniel chose not to participate. 
Additionally, Daniel did not bow his knee to the secular practices that his culture had. Instead, he displayed a desire to be the moral compass and not to defile himself with the culture. And listen very carefully. The church is in danger of losing our moral compass and our moral voice because we are engaging in sinful practices of the pagan culture. We have to police our own. Meaning we have to police our own hearts. You start looking at certain things within the struggles that we all have. And here's and here what, I'm, what I'm about to say is going to sound like I'm beating you up. And that's not the case. I want to preface it. So just hold on with me. You start to look at certain things. We are practicing divorce. We're practicing pornography. We're practicing adultery. We're practicing all these things at the exact same statistical rate as the world. So when we have our, we have our preachers up on the platform and they're constantly stealing money from the church or they're having affairs in the church and we're not policing that, then we're not being the moral voice anymore. You understand what I'm saying? Now, where's the balance in that? Perhaps you're struggling with some of those things. I struggle with those things. What are we to do? We're to be humble and we're to repent before the Lord and before others. We need to remove the cultural stigma in the church where we can't confess our sins to one another because what has happening is the enemy's working in our life in the darkness. And so instead of breaking out and being light, we're over here struggling with certain sins in our life, but we can't go to our brothers and sisters and confess those and get help because we're afraid that we're going to be judged for that. You know what I'm talking about? Is Is this resonating? So the only way in which that is going to change is when we have a heart uh, that is devoted to the Lord, where we're determined that every step we're going to take is this. Let me promise you something, okay? You are not perfect, and I'm not perfect, amen? We're not perfect, okay? And as a part of that promise is that you and I are going to struggle with sin from time to time. You know what I'm saying? So we need to have people in our life that we can go to that when things start to go awry in our lives, we can say, help bring me back to sinner. I need your help. I need your help. When we don't do that, we engage in the pagan practices of the world. God has called us to a life of holiness, which means separation. There has to be separation in our speech and our actions and our mindset if we intend to thrive in Babylon. The only way to have a resolved heart is when we have deep intimacy with Christ. This is why we're focusing so much on the centered initiative this year. If you, maybe you haven't read your Bible one time this year. Let me tell you, it's never too late to start. Acts 15 tomorrow morning. Read it with us. Maybe you're not praying every day. The practice of communion every week is to remind us to pray Monday through Saturday. Two minutes a day is better than no minutes a day. You need a community. You need people around you. Get out of your comfort zone. Take somebody to eat with you. Third, Daniel had resolved actions that led to contrasting convictions. Daniel was conflicted about the things that he was called to do here, right? But he was also confident that if he honored God, that God would honor him. And that allowed him to contrast a God-honoring lifestyle to the pagan lifestyle of the world. Daniel developed this cultural discernment muscle. I read that term in a book a while back, and it really stuck with me. We need to start developing some discernment as to what's going on around us. Daniel was unwilling to defy himself with these idols, as I said a moment ago. And so he told the chief, he said, I'm not going to eat the food you offered. However, Daniel was not a jerk, but worked within the system, and he wasn't a thorn to the chief. Think about how he works this. The guy brings him the food, the wine, and he says, look, I can't eat this. And the guy's like, if you don't eat this, the king's going to be mad at me, and I don't know you, and I'm not going to lose my head over you. And he said, hey, let's, and Daniel responded, completely understand. 
I don't want to see your head get chopped off either. How about we have a little test? 10 days. Let me eat nothing but vegetables. Me and my friends over here will eat nothing but vegetables. You feed them over there. Compare us. If it don't work out, we'll do it your way. 10 days later, they come back and they compare Daniel to everybody else and what had happened. They were a lot healthier than these guys over here. So the chief says, you know what? If it works for you, it's going to work for them. I want to raise. I want a promotion. So he took and he gave everybody vegetables. Daniel had convictions that allowed him to follow and honor God, but it was also a benefit to everyone around him. Think about that. It wasn't just him and his friends that were healthier when it was over. It was everybody was healthier when it was over. And the chief got a raise. We don't know that. I'm just going to add that in there. Church, we need to develop the muscle of cultural discernment. We cannot engage life the way the world does. And as Christians, we have to have resolved action. We have to have a lifestyle of holiness, but it has to be contrast. Here's my concern. My concern is that we think we're being a contrast when in reality we're being a thorn. Let me give you an example. Separation from the world doesn't mean that I'm a jerk to those around me. And I'm concerned because our tone and our tenor of how we engage with the culture is a lot of times combative versus contrasting. Here's an example. We need to have strong biblical principles of God's design for marriage. However, we lose our witness when we dive into mockery of others in the name of biblical conviction. I want you just to think about the tone and the tenor in which you see things on social media and the news when it comes from Christianity. A lot of times when there's something that we see, we delve into sarcasm. We delve into mockery. We delve into, frankly, things that are not bearing the fruit of the spirit. And then we're wondering why no one listens to us. If you mock somebody's lifestyle while telling them the scripture has a better design, you have not earned the right to be heard and they're not going to listen to you. Daniel did not do that. Daniel came and he stood his ground and he stood his conviction while using his conviction to show the chief eunuch that God's way was better than their way and was a benefit to everyone else. We have to be careful. We have to maintain our cultural convictions without sacrificing our platform. We have to maintain our, our biblical convictions without mocking and ridiculing everyone around us because they're never going to hear us. You'll notice Jesus that he didn't mock and ridicule anybody, but the religious leaders. There were people that were coming tax collectors. They were stealing from people. Did he hold the truth? Absolutely. I love it. They were like, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Cause they need a doctor. He wasn't denying that they weren't tax collectors and sinners. But what he wasn't going to do was he wasn't going to mock and ridicule them. We have to be very careful of this. We have to set the difference. So when given the opportunity, we have to show the contrast. That's what Daniel did. I think Charity is a great example of this. I watched her as a teacher affect and influence other teachers in her school that she was at. She didn't preach at them. She didn't condemn them. She didn't mock them. Instead, she resolved in her actions to manifest a conviction and her attitude towards authority, her love towards her peers, her faith in Christ, the, the fruit of the spirit in her own life was a powerful testimony that influenced the culture of the school in which she was planted in. Saw it with my own eyes. 
Some of you work in toxic work environments. Some of you have toxic families. Some of you have a toxic group of friends with a spirit-empowered convictions that show the contrast of the culture. We should be able to influence them without mocking or ridiculing them. We need to test our motives. We need to test our assumptions. We need to test how we talk. And we need to do that because people will test us. When we live for Christ and honor Christ, they're going to see that Christ weighs the best way. We need to be the thermostats and not the thermometers of the culture. And too many times we use the culture's language and the culture's tenor to try to change it and it ain't going to work. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. Daniel had a resolved mind, developed these quality characteristics. He had a resolved heart that allowed him to have this determined devotion. He had resolved actions that led to contrasting convictions. And as a result, he made a huge difference. What's really interesting is that in verse 21, it says that he was with the first year of Cyrus. Now, that's weird because we were just talking about Nebuchadnezzar. So what's it saying? It's saying Daniel served in this court for 70 years. That's the brunt of what it says. 70 years he was there with them. He was an old man by the time he died. And I think that's powerful for us. And I think that's powerful for us to ask ourselves this. If we're stuck in Babylon, do we have the staying power that Daniel had in his culture? Daniel, this man who held to his convictions so much that we read later on, he's thrown into a lion's den. And you know what happened? The king came and ran and grabbed him out of there because he needed Daniel in his court. Are we living with such a way with our our heart, our mind, our actions, our devotion, our witness, that the world tried to cancel us, there would be a group of people say, no, 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 we need this person in our court. We need this person in our court. There's no doubt that as we look around, there's a lot of concern that starts to develop inside of our hearts. We see the direction of the culture. We see the indoctrination of our kids and all these things. But I want to tell you that there's a, there's a change that can happen when we as Christians resolve in our own hearts to be that change. This world is not too far gone. We've been reading through the book of Revelation, and what's so interesting about the book is you see that God's in control, and at the end, He wins. And it's real easy to get a defeated mindset when you look around at everything that's going on around us and forget that in the end, God wins, and He wants to use you and me. The only question is, are we going to be a part of his plan and his purpose? Are we going to have the resolved mind, the resolved heart, and the resolved actions that are going to produce this fruit into the culture in which we live?